This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If someone out there doesn't like Bones, No Bones, then someone is not going to like your book. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, author Sarah Nicholas, aka literary agent Sarah N. Fisk. Today we're going to be talking to romance author Ruby Barrett. Ruby writes steamy romances about big feelings. She is the author of Hot Copy and the forthcoming The Romance Recipe. She lives in Ottawa, Canada with her daughter and her husband. So please welcome Ruby to the show. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for coming on. All right. So we are going to talk about your writing journey today, and we're going to start by going all the way back to the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing? And then how long did it take from there before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? I started writing stories when I was a kid, and most of them involved horses because I am a recovering horse girl. I was I was also like a very avid reader at the time, also read a lot of horse books. I was a very big fan of the Pony Pals and the Saddle Club and the Thoroughbred series, if you're familiar. And then I probably basically went to high school, started, stopped writing, really stopped reading unless I was forced to as well, and didn't pick anything, either of them back up until... Um, well into adulthood. Once I finished my master's degree in history, my brain was sort of like looking for something that wasn't, you know, very heavy texts and whatnot. And that's sort of how I found my way back into my love of reading, which, you know, helped me to find romance novels. And then I I don't know if a lot of people feel this way. I I always assume that they do, but Maybe they don't, but the more like immersed I am in stories, the more stories sort of come to my own head. So like, you know, reading for me is like a very inspirational process, I guess you could say, because like, it's just sort of like feeding that fire. I essentially just kind of got into writing because being able to read a story and picking out the parts that I really loved about that story made me want to try that out myself. So that was probably around 2012, I think. I started writing. I started just like sort of playing around with my own ideas. And I was unemployed at the time, so I didn't have anything else to do. But um, read romance. I was literally reading like a book a day and then also writing. And that's sort of like where it got started. My goal from the beginning was to be published. So that first book that I wrote and completed, it was a contemporary romance. It was far too long. It was like over 100,000 words. I had no clue of what genre conventions were. So I didn't know that like, you know, romance, contemporary romance should not be over 100,000 words. And I wrote it and I think I maybe edited edited it once. And then I was like, I'm going to submit this to publishers. And I... Um, went the route, like, instead of going, like, through an agency, I went the route of, like, 
usually like more small presses you can like just like you know obviously send your your book directly to the publisher obviously I got no interest which is totally fine because it was not it was not ready that experience sort of led me to be like okay well like what did I learn and how do I do this essentially like okay like I want to be published so like what do I do next and that's sort of how I started learning about you should probably get an agent and that kind of thing and you should also probably learn how long your book should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then it really went from there. Can you tell me more about the moment that you realized that you wanted to be a published author? I don't know if there was like an exact moment that I recall, but obviously I was only really, I didn't have any writer friends. I didn't have writer a writer community when I was first starting. When I wrote that first book, I didn't have anybody and I didn't even know I needed one. But I had my best friend who, you know, I will say now, you probably shouldn't have your best friend or your like mom <laughs> read your work. But in this, in this case, it was really good because we're sort of like opposites in a lot of ways. And, you know, she's not like a linguistically creative person. Like that's just not where her, her skills lie. And she's also like a very, very tough nut to crack so like if she like you know we've always been this way with each other but I I trust her to tell me the truth on on things like you know she will tell you like when you do not look good in that dress sort of thing like that's the type of friendship that we have and so why well, I, I would be you know writing chapters and then I would send them to her to read because she was kind of like the only person I had told at that point because I was kind of scared like she would tell me she was like this is good like, this is really good. And I was like, you know, and, you know, obviously looking back, you're like, okay, obviously best friends are going to be biased about what is good or not. But whether it was good and it wasn't, um, it's kind of beyond the point. But it was just like that confidence boost that she gave me was a sort of when I was like, maybe I could do this. Like, maybe this is something that I'm capable of. So just like having that positive reinforcement in that time, especially in that time when like I was unemployed, I didn't really have anything else going on. So having somebody be like in my corner and cheering for me was like exactly what I needed. So once you decided that you needed to learn more about the publishing industry, how did you go about learning about it? Like how to query, how it works, all the things like that. I really like honestly just Googled how to publish a book <laughs> and just found like different resources. I mean, looking back now, it all seems so obvious, but like publishing is really quite a strange industry if you're not in it. And I know that now when I talk to other people about publishing, mm -hmm. they're just like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm like, I know, <laughs> and I'm so happy to be a part of it. And, you know, that's how I sort of figured out that like you need an agent and, and you need to write a query letter and you probably need to get better at writing a synopsis and that kind of thing. And the next thing I did was I just started following agents on Twitter. And looking back, I'm like, maybe I should have like pumped the brakes on that because they might have thought I was like super weird. But yeah, my entire follower list was like all agents so that I could just like learn about. And at the time, I wasn't even focusing on, you know, adult contemporary romance agents. It was everybody like YA, middle grade. It was also like the books I enjoyed reading because like I don't just enjoy reading romance. Like I enjoy YA, I enjoy fantasy, sci-fi. So I was following everybody just to like get a better understanding of the industry, how 
you know, these pe- this group of people operate within the industry. I learned uh, so much about like the do's and don'ts of querying that a lot of people I think don't realize. Like a lot of people make like little querying mistakes that they don't realize are mistakes. And because, but because I was obsessively scrolling my timeline, I was seeing, you know, when, when um, agents might say like, please don't pitch me on Twitter. Like, you know, in, in hindsight, you're like, yeah, probably don't do that. But when you're a writer and you don't know anything about the industry, it makes sense to feel like to reach out that way. Um, like I can kind of see like why writers like want to do that. Agents are always talking about how to make your query letter better, how to make your synopsis better, how to make your first pages better on Twitter. That was like a huge wealth of knowledge for me. Hmm. So then what happened? Can you break down your journey from there to signing your first book contract? Sure. I wrote that first book. Uh, then I wrote another one and it was not a contemporary romance. It was a, uh, I guess, SFF, post-apocalypse, Robin Hood retelling with horse gangs, because obviously that's my brand. <laughs> <laughs> um, horse gangs and, you know, girls who are good with bows and arrows. I was, you know, we were coming off of the Hunger Games and stuff. And obviously Robin Hood needs bows and arrows anyway. So I wrote that and it was, that was an adult. It was a, a romance, however. And I queried that. I honestly don't remember my numbers. And I had even gone back in my emails to try and find like how many queries that I send. And I must have been a terrible records keeper because I couldn't find <laughs> anything. I sent out probably definitely more than 10 queries. And I got two full manuscript requests and one of them was from my dream agent at the time Susie Townsend and that was like the best thing that had ever happened to me and of course (laughs) Susie passed in the end but I still like that moment when I got a full manuscript request from Susie Townsend was I was like I've made it (laughs) if nothing else ever happens I will have this and I will feel great about it so, you know, that book died and that's okay. Well, I shouldn't say it died because I am actually probably going to self-publish it later on <laughs> in my in life, but that's another story. But um, so, you know, that book died and then I started to write Hot Copy or the book that would become Hot Copy. And I was actually sort of inspired by, I was following an agent and that agent is Laura Zach. Laura does a, I, I actually don't know if Laura still does does it but something similar to like 10 queries but it's like 100 queries where she just like goes through 100 queries in her inbox and says like why she passed on it or why she requested or something and I was just sort of scrolling that and one of the things that she mentioned as a reason for passing on a contemporary romance was that it was the Boston intern trope you know workplace romance and she just sort of said, like, it, it, it's the, the trope feels a little overdone. I'd like to see, you know, a woman boss instead of a man, a male boss, because that was obviously the premise of the, the story that she was passing on. And, and in that moment, that's where I sort of came up with the idea for hot copy. I was like, oh, like, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I started writing hot copy. At the time, it probably mirrored very much the kind of books that you would have seen probably around like the early, like 2010s to like an early 20 teens 
there were quite a few workplace romances coming out around that time. One of the first things that I did with that book was I wrote it only from the hero's POV. Like looking back now, I'm like, I just did not have the skill to really be able to do two distinct voices hmm. at the time. Back then I was like, oh, you know, Corinne's voice, the, the heroine, is her voice is just like not coming to me. So I was telling the story only from, from Wesley's POV, the hero's POV. And I wrote, you know, the full manuscript from his POV. And by that point, I had started to accumulate like a, a bit of a writing community. I had people that I knew here locally in Ottawa who were big romance readers. They weren't writers, but they were readers. And that's where I had my first sort of experience with like having beta readers read my book. And they did provide like really great feedback, ways to really beef up my plot and my conflict because I was coming at this with like no training. Well, like with most, most writers are not trained, classically trained. Um, but, you know, I really was learning like flying by the seat of my pants because, you know, the concept of like narrative structure was like completely new to me. And the idea that like, oh, I have to have like a conflict. I can't just have them having feelings for each other and then having sex for multiple <laughs> chapters and then breaking up for no reason that makes any sense because I didn't have any conflict, um, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So that was really helpful to have, you know, those friends read that. And then, so I queried hot copy. Um, at the time it wasn't called hot copy. It was called choose you. And so I queried it again. I got a partial request. And that was really exciting. I was really happy with that. But it, everything sort of fizzled out. Like there was no really, there wasn't really any other interest. I had started working on another book by that point because, you know, while I was querying, I was, you know, they always say to write the weight and I was writing the weight of my querying. Mm -hmm. And I just happened to, again to be scrolling Twitter and I saw a, a post from the Pitch Wars account, I think, because. I followed the Pitch Wars account because I had participated in Pitmat events previously and literally was just essentially like the submission window for Pitch Wars opens in like a week or something like that. Like it was, or like probably even less time than that. And I was like, oh, right. Like what is Pitch Wars again? <laughs> I had no idea. What year was that? That was in 2018. I wrote that tweet then. <laughs> <laughs> You were integral to my <laughs> publishing journey, Sarah. So thank you. But yeah, so I like, I literally was like, what is Pitch Wars again? And like went onto the website and was like, oh, okay, it's a mentorship program and I can apply for it because I'm eligible because I'm never, you know, I'm not currently represented. I have a complete manuscript. I have a query letter. I have a synopsis. By that point, I hadn't like touched hot copy in like a few months. So I like, you know, opened it back up, read through it as like fast as I could, made sure it was like good, you know, and at the time, you know, applying to pitch wars, I was like, it has to be perfect. And I know now that that's actually not the case. And it probably, it, you get a, have a better chance of getting in if it's not, you know, tried to polish everything up as best I could and started researching who was taking contemporary romance. I saw that Helen Huang, Heather and Lana, Kristen Wright, and mm. Katie Golding and Michelle Haven. I 
think I'm pretty sure were the four who I chose. And then I was literally, I was really just like, because I think it was just such a fast, like, oh yeah, like that thing exists. I'll just, you know, throw my hat in the ring and see what happens. I was very, like, it was super low stakes for me at that point. So I was just like, okay, cool. My husband and I were planning to go on a trip to Scotland and I was sitting in the airport in Toronto, like waiting for our connecting flight. And I got an email from Heather and Lana asking if they could have my full for listeners in pictures, do you submit, you know, your first 10 pages and your query and your synopsis. And then if the mentors like what they see, they'll ask to read more. So they were requesting my full manuscript and I like freaked out in the middle of Pearson International Airport. Luckily, thank God I had packed my laptop with me. I mean, I'm sure at the uh, time I had planned to do that, but I don't remember planning to do that. So I like imagine if I had been gone for this two week trip and like couldn't send them my full. But anyway, you know, sent them my full and, and, uh, you know, mentors always like send you like a big list of questions. So I'm like sitting there, like waiting for my flight, answering these questions. I was, while I was on the trip, I'm pretty sure it was when we were staying on the Isle of Skye. Oh, I've always wanted to go there. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Please go as soon <laughs> as COVID-19 allows you because it's beautiful. I, I remember because I was sitting in the little bed uh, in the Hobbit house, looking out on this, like, you know, the beautiful landscape and an email comes in and it's from Helen Huang, who at the time was like my top pick from like, if I, if I was going to get into pitch wars, I wanted to work with her more than anybody. Before the quotient even came out, I was obsessed with it. I just, there was just something about that story, the quote unquote gender bend on pretty woman and the neurodiversity rep. And it's just like, I was like, I'm just felt so excited for that story. And then when it came out, I read it in like, it was back to my old, my old days of being unemployed. I read it in like a day. I read it so fast. That's when I got her full request. We found out, I think it was announced in, I think like early October that year. I remember I was, so I was ill. I was like very sick with a really terrible cold. And I had like, basically it had turned into bronchitis. But the night that the mentees were being announced, because you know, like, Pitchers always announces like at midnight, but sometimes a little bit earlier. So I was staying up late, even though I was just like oh, no. totally gassed and like might have been high on NyQuil at that point. And my husband was staying up with me and I was just like, ooh, we were just literally lying in bed and I'm like on my phone and keep refreshing, keep refreshing. And then, <laughs> you know, the Pitchers account announces. That was all for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I clicked the link. And I started looking and it's really funny because when it got to my name, I didn't read it as my name because Ruby Barrett is, is my author name mm. and it said Ruby Barrett and I was expecting it to say my real name and which wouldn't make any sense, but it didn't. <laughs> and so at first I was like, oh, this other person named Ruby, oh my God, <laughs> like, this other person, but it's me. Uh, that was like my thought process. I just like freaked out. I was so excited. Yeah, I got into Pitch Wars. That's how I'll, the book that was Choose You, that was a one POV from the hero's perspective, turned into a two POV contemporary romance called Pop Copy. 
so yeah, so I worked with Helen. It was uh, honestly a dream come true. I really could not say enough wonderful things about her. She's an incredible mentor and an incredible person and incredibly gracious and kind. And it was like, oh, it was wonderful to be able to sort of be, this is going to be such a weird analogy, but like be birthed into the publishing <laughs> scene by her. It was such a gentle, it was like a nice water birth. It was so gentle and, and, <laughs> and kind. We, you know, added an entire POV to the book, obviously in the, in the short time span that we have to, to edit during Pitch Wars. Then I went through the showcase process, which the, sh- the showcase is like a mind fuck. I still think I have PTSD from the anxiety and depression. Not that I got from the show during the showcase, but afterwards. I had quite a few requests. And I was obviously very happy. The one really weird thing is that throughout the entire pitch wars process, I think, you know, sort of similar to how I just sort of, I threw my hat in the ring when I submitted it. And if whatever happened, happened. That's really, that is honestly, truly how I felt the entire revision period of pitch wars. I was like, I'm here to make my book better. I'm here for the craft. I'm here to learn. And whatever happens, happens. But then getting all those requests really screwed with my head mm. because it, it gave me this sense that like, oh, I'm going to be one of the pitch wars success stories that you always hear about. They're almost always YA, but <laughs> we'll just ignore that part. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to be like, I, I'm definitely going to get an agent. I'm going to sell this book. My career is set. Perfect. You know, once the showcase ended and we were allowed to send out our queries and send out our material to the requesting agents, I did that. One of the friends that I had made in Pitch Wars, Rosie Dannon, on the first day that we were allowed to send out materials, Rosie got uh, an email for a call. Mm. I was obviously incredibly happy for her. Rosie is like one of my best friends in the entire world. Like I would probably do a murder for her if it was necessary. For legal reasons, that is a joke. <laughs> <laughs> but like, she's one of the greatest people that I have ever had the honor to know. And I was so happy with her. But like, I remember that when she came into our group chat and was like, you know, this agent just asked for a call. I went to my email, my, I went to my inbox and I was like, refresh. Like, oh, where's, no. where's mine? Where's mine? Where's mine? And that started a very dark time for me because I wasn't I wasn't getting the call. This is something that we in Pitch Wars actively warn against. Like we always have the mentors talk to their mentees, try to lower their expectations. But even with all of that, that you still get your hopes up. Oh, yeah. I'm glad that you're telling the story because it's like we do we do try to lower expectations as much possible and keep everything realistic. But when you're in the height of it, it still gets very emotional for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, like Helen 100% prepared me for a worst case scenario, like 100% did. Like we went through the scenario of you get a lot of requests and then nothing happens. Like I knew that that was a possibility. But like you said, it's one thing to hear about it and it's another thing when you're in it and when you're, the emotions are happening. And especially too, like when you have your friends around you who are getting it and you have that very, it's like such a strange feeling. And I was reading a book by Jennifer Probst 
who um, describe it as a difference between like jealousy and envy, where like we are not envious because envy, envy is like a, when you're like, I want that, what that person has because I don't want them to have it. But I'm jealous of my friends. I want them to have the things that I want. I just also want it too. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I was trying to be really cognizant of when all that was happening was like, don't get to a point where you get so sad in your heart that you no longer want them to have it as well. And so for about two months, I was just in the query trenches, getting my rejections, getting my R's, thinking about like what my next steps were going to be, and then getting pretty low, pretty sad, even though looking back now, I know that I did not have a lot to be sad about. And that's not to, to sort of like invalidate my feelings or invalidate the feelings of someone who's ever felt similarly or will feel similarly. But I had come out of pitch with completing the goal that I had wanted to. My craft was far better. I had made amazing writer connections and established a writing community that is so strong, Sarah, that I truly could not live without these people. Because like, so while all of that is happening and I'm getting these R's and I'm throwing out more queries and I'm trying to figure out like what needs to change either in my pages or, or in my query or whatever, I had, you know, become very close with Rosie Dannon and Meryl Wilsner, who are both, you know, Pitch Wars 2018 alum. And then they invited me to a Slack group and that Slack group had about 20-ish other people. You know, Rosie and Meryl and I are all contemporary romance writers, but this Black group was all 2018 alums, but YA, MG, fantasy, sci-fi, contemporary, historic, like just whatever. And I know 20 seems like such a large number for a group chat, and you wouldn't think that 20 people could get along. But since the day the showcase ended, we have been in that group together. And we have talked to each other every single day. My growth as a writer has just skyrocketed from being in that group and being with these people. So in April, I got the email from um, my now agent. Uh, we had the call and I did my nudging and I got one other offer and I know had a had a call with her as well. And then I decided to go with my original offering agent, Kiki at Donald Ma. So I signed with Kiki in April of 2019. We spent the summer doing more revisions. Kiki is like such a editorial agent and it's like exactly what I need. Like I need someone who's like working with me on the draft. So we went out on submission in, I want to say September of 2019. In our first round, I got to acquisitions once. So at that point, once we got to acquisitions, he was like, okay, I'm going to send out sort of a, a half round of like new subs just in case like this goes through and then we can have like sort of like more to, to nudge with. And that ended up falling through, but that's okay because then in May of 2020, we got an offer from Karina Press, which is the digital arm of Harlequin. So that was from Stephanie Doys. Everybody else passed, which at the time like kind of felt like a hurt because I, it's sort of the same thing with, with agenting or like getting your agent to, it's like when you nudge everybody else and then everybody else passes, you're like, why does only that one agent want me? <laughs> oh no. But same with this. It was like, why does only this one publisher want me? But in the end, I'm actually like, I feel like if I knew then what I know now, I would have gone with Stephanie no matter what, because she like got the book from 
like the first page and just like totally understood it. From there, we, you know, we did our, our edits, you know, we, we got the offer in May, 2020, but we didn't get published until almost a year later in April, 2021. Which is pretty quick, but they're a digital first press, which they tend to move faster. Yeah. Less uh, printing. So it doesn't take them. <laughs> yeah. Can you read your successful query letter for us? Dear Miss Nguyen, after the worst year of his life, Wesley Chambers can't wait to start his new marketing internship. But after a horribly awkward misunderstanding in an elevator, his mentor ensures he won't get to work on marketing campaigns. Instead, his new boss, Corinne, has him washing her car, booking her waxing appointments, or watering her plants. And she won't let him write a word of copy. He'd hate her if he didn't secretly think she was brilliant and beautiful. Corinne Blunt's life revolves around work, and she likes it that way. As the only female executive in her company and the target of regular workplace harassment, her job is her distraction and salvation from a dull romantic life and tragedy in her personal life. But lately, she's found herself distracted by something or someone else. Wes isn't the sexist dirtbag she assumed he was. In fact, he's a charming combination of awkward and sweet. Despite her initial dislike of him, Corinne can't stop thinking about her new intern. When they start a secret affair, they find that the hardest part of their relationship isn't keeping it professional at work, but keeping secrets and navigating office politics. Wes and Corinne have to decide whether they're willing to sacrifice their love or their careers. Hot Coffee, complete at 92,000 words, is the steamy enemies to lovers contemporary romance that puts a gender bend on the executive intern trope. A Me Too relevant story where devil wears Prada meets dating you hating you. This manuscript was selected by Helen Huang for Pitch Wars 2018. When I'm not writing or reading, I'm an operations manager for an inbound marketing agency, a mother to a preschooler, a wife to my own personal romance novel hero, and a feminist. All right. Thanks for sharing. So how has your experience been since signing that contract? Especially were there any kind of like publishing surprises along the way? I feel like I'm going to sound cocky and or <laughs> or um, bring <laughs> catastrophe down on myself. <laughs> but there actually weren't very many surprises for me. And again, I think that part of that did come from the fact that two of my closest writing friends and who also published the exact same type of books as me went through the experience before me. Mm-hmm. I was learning about what they were getting, like what they were doing before I even knew I was going to get the opportunity. They took the surprises for you. <laughs> they took it for me, which I appreciate and I'm very grateful for. I think maybe the only surprise is how very much I love working with Karina. Like Karina Press is a fantastic publisher. My editor, Stephanie, is a fantastic editor. Karina is really doing its best as well to be like a diverse and queer publisher. As we mentioned, it's a digital publisher. And because it's a digital publisher, they get to take more risks because there's less costs in their publishing, which means that books like Hot Copy get to be sold because trends right now in traditional publishing are not leaning towards books that have nine sex scenes in them. Um, and that's okay like a lot of romance that's being published right now is uh, is a bit lighter, which is fine. That's just how, you know, the market moves, it fluctuates. But Karina was able to like take more of a risk on my book. And so that was a pleasant surprise, I guess. Nice. It is time for the quick round. I call it author DNA. Are you a pantser or a plotter? I am a plotter. 
Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? Underwriter in terms of like plot, overwriter in terms of embellishment. (laughs) (laughs) Do you prefer to write in the morning or at night? I prefer middle of the day. (laughs) I've actually, I've been waiting for someone to say that. You're the first one. (laughs) When you're starting a new story, do you typically start with character or plot or concept or something else first? A combination of character and concept. I'm almost always looking at like what my main trope is going to be and then figuring out which two characters are going to fit, two or more characters are going to fit into that trope. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Tea. When you're writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? I spend more time preparing my music playlist than I do actually writing my book. (laughs) Music. (laughs) When it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? I'm a get it right kind of person who is trying very hard to be a get it down kind of person. What tools or software do you use to draft? I'm trying to be a Scrivener person, but I keep going back to Word. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Neither, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer uh, um, that, you know, typical answer. I prefer drafting when I'm revising and revising when I'm drafting. <laughs> <laughs> do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Sequential order. And final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? Introvert. So the show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. We already heard your query. Now we're going to talk about that second cue. What were some of the worries that you had on your journey? And did you overcome them? Or how did they shake out? I guess my biggest worry was I wasn't going to get an agent. I was more worried that I wasn't going to get an agent when I was waiting for the call. than once I had an agent and I was on submission and I was getting rejections, in my head, I was like, okay, but... I'm here now. I've reached this point. At least a few industry professionals think that I have what it takes to have my book published. So if not this book, a book will get published. But getting over that, getting through that first gate, I guess, you know, that first gate of the the agent was one of my biggest worries. I wish I could say that, uh, you know, the healthy answer of like, I, you know, stopped caring and I knew that my writing was good enough as it was. But I didn't really know that getting the emails to have the agent call felt really validating. It was the external <laughs> external validation that I needed, but I certainly wouldn't have gotten through it without the writing community that I had made and gotten through Pitch Wars. Some of them were not like me. Some of them had already gotten their agents and already had publishing deals at that point. But some of them were like me and were struggling and suffering and feeling really terrible. The fact that I was able to be in this group with, you know, 20 other people who we were all in different parts of our journey. One of the things that helped was like seeing how, you know, my friends who had agents and my friends who had publishing deals were still feeling the doubt and still feeling the worries. One of the things that it helps you realize is that you never like reach the pinnacle of writing. Like you'll never be the best writer you'll ever ever be like you're only the best you'll be that day sort of thing and then the next day is like a new opportunity to be better because those worries and those doubts like never go away I think you're spot on that the first foot of confidence from like an industry professional can be a big boost and can keep you going for a long time because it does feel like for so long you're just waiting for one person to tell you that your writing is good enough and so once that happens it helps a lot yeah 
Now we're going to talk about the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of different or interesting or unique? As I mentioned before, I make playlists and I get a lot of inspiration from music, not in the sense that I'm listening to a lyric and a lyric is necessarily like informing the scene that I'm writing. I'll essentially just like sit there and listen to a song over and over and over again until my husband is like, please put on headphones so I don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> a scene will come to life in my head through that mood that's being set by that song. When you were in the lowest parts of your writing journey, what kept you going and why did you stick to it? The writing community kept me going. From being a part of Pitch Wars, I became really close with Rose Gannon, Mara Wilsner. We also joined a group chat of other Pitch Wars 2018 alum. And there are people that like, essentially from the time that the showcase ended until today, there are people that I talk to every single day. They are the people that when I felt like, my writing was worthless and my writing was not going to be good enough and that I should give up. They were the people that, you know, assured me that uh, my words needed to be in the world. And also like gave space for the fact that like my words might not be published, but they still needed my words. And sort of speaking to like that whole idea of like, we just need that one industry professional to tell us we're good enough. Sometimes we also just need to hear that like our words helped one person and maybe it wasn't through a published book, but like to know that my friend was beta reading for me and like, you know, learned something from me or I made them cry or <laughs> something like that is like just as powerful. I 100% don't think that I would be still writing without them. What was one or more of the mistakes that you made along the way that you might like to warn listeners about so maybe they don't make the same ones? Okay, so mistake number one, if you are in pitch wars and your mentor tells you to not put any weight into the showcase, do everything you can to listen to them. The showcase is going to screw with your head. Whether you get it tattooed on your inner arm so that you can see it every day or you write it on a post-it and you stick it to your partner's forehead so you can see it every day you need like remind yourself every goddamn day that your writing is good enough with or without an agent or a publishing deal and that your words are important that was a mistake i made and that's what i want other people to remember i think my second mistake is to remember to not read reviews <laughs> Um, when I was first published, I read review, some of my reviews, even the ones that like weren't that bad, upset me to say nothing of the reviewer. The reviewer is, was and is completely entitled to their opinion. But these are tools for readers to use. A review is not a tool for a writer. The tools that we have at our disposal are our beta readers and our critique partners, our agents, our editors our copy editor. Like we have a team of people that are our tools to be better writers. At best, you're going to read a great review. If you're anything like me, you're going to wonder if you're ever going to be able to recreate that ever again, or if that was the one time that you ever wrote anything good, and now you're never going to do that again. Or you're going to read a bad review, and you're going to be really upset. Don't read reviews. They're not for you especially because it's okay if people don't like your book. 
it's okay. It, your book is not going to be for everyone. So you have readers out there. They exist and they love your words. And if they come into your DM to tell you that they love your words, then that is great. Otherwise, do not read their reviews. <laughs> don't do it. You don't need it. Yeah, my new favorite example of you can't please everyone is, so we're recording this in late October, so I don't know where this trend will be whenever this episode comes out, but the bones, no bones thing is like a huge thing, right? On TikTok. Yeah. And I have seen a couple people even be negative about that. And it's like, how, how can you be negative about like a 13 year old pug standing up or not standing up? I don't understand. Right? If someone out there doesn't like bones, no bones then someone is not going to like your book. Exactly. If a 13-year-old pug who may or may not have bones today can't win everybody over, why (laughs) did you? And it's not even like people don't care. It's like people are actively like disliking this. And I'm like, how? (laughs) (laughs) How? Anyway, (laughs) can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons you learned on your journey to publication? Feedback and failure are opportunities. So I say this, I think I when I say it, I try to sound like that's a rule, like feedback and failure are opportunities. But I also say that with a caveat that that is a rule that I'm still struggling with. So yes, it's something that I've learned, but it's also a lesson that I'm still struggling to remember every single day. So there's that caveat. But what I mean by opportunity is that when we get feedback in the form of an edit letter, or in the form of rejection from an agent or an editor, we are 100% allowed to feel our feelings. Even when we get feedback from an editor that is like an edit letter. So we know that, you know, our book is being published and here are the ways that our editor wants to make it more publishable. Even when we read that, we're still feeling feelings of like defensiveness and frustration and sad or embarrassment because things that maybe seemed obvious at the time are no longer obvious. Things are getting lost in translation. But once we've felt those feelings, I try really hard and I hope that any listeners can try to adopt this as well to not see that feedback or that failure as a failure because now we have the time, we have the space to do something more with it. So either we have the time and the space to make our book better. Like what? What a great opportunity. How exciting. I am so excited to do that. If I've been rejected, like, okay, now I have the time to do something else, to try something new. And maybe I'm going to try something new with the book I have to make it better because we can never make our books perfect. So we're always just striving to make it better. Maybe I now have an opportunity to make it, to try something completely new with a completely new project. Maybe I have the opportunity to show that person who rejected me how fucking wrong they were. Like if that's the opportunity that you need to take with you today, like that's fine to do. It's important to focus on essentially the things that we can control. I think that's kind of what opportunity is meant to be in this sort of scenario. What we can control is what we do next. This is going to sound like a really weird example, analogy, whatever, but I'm super into CrossFit. I go to CrossFit gym. I love to lift heavy things. I follow CrossFit athletes on Instagram. I watch the CrossFit games. And at the 2020 CrossFit Games, there was this event where the athletes had to do this trail run for like eight miles or something. And when they got to the finish line, they thought it was the finish line, but they were told, no, now you have to go back and run the route backwards. 
like go <laughs> run it again. And like the first few people were like, holy shit, like this is terrible. Cause they had just run all out to like win this event, what they thought was winning this event. And then they didn't win it and they had to go do it again. And there was this one athlete, her name's Katrin David's daughter. And she came in like almost dead last. She was sort of, you know, narrating for people afterwards what she was felt in that moment when she was told you have to turn around and do it again. And it would obviously be really easy for her to have felt defeated because she's tired. She just came in dead last and she has to go do more work when she's already left. And she was like so excited. She was like, holy shit, this is my opportunity to win this event because I made mistakes on the first half and now I know how I can fix those mistakes. Now I have more time and more space to make up all the time that I lost before. And she ended up going from dead last because like second or third in the event. So she like almost won it, which is huge, right? Like would think about like how tired you are and like you're doing this trail run and like she, you know, just picked other athletes off until she beat them. And I, I think of that now I'm like, so even when you're rejected, like, you know, the next time I go out on sub with a book, I'm going to get rejected. That's what happens. You, there's no way you don't get rejected from something. But I'm going to have the space to make things better. I'm going to have the space, you know, not necessarily pick off other writers and beat them. It's not, <laughs> not really a competition in that sort of way. But to see who my goals are, like, what are my goals and to reach them, I'm going to have time to do that. My biggest piece of advice would be to see feedback and rejection as an opportunity. You did say earlier that you would do a murder and then you <laughs> talked about picking off your competition. So if contemporary romance writers start disappearing, we know where to look first. <laughs> For legal reasons, all of this still remains <laughs> a joke. <laughs> this is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. And you've mentioned some of them along the way, but who are some of the people who helped you along your journey and how? So Helen Huang, who's a fantastic author. She's a New York Times bestseller. She's amazing at writing sexy romances that have deep, deep feelings. And she taught me so, so much in such a short amount of time. And she was so generous with her time and with herself. And when she was going through a really rough time in her own life, she was also mentoring me. And that means like so much to me because none of this would have happened without, without her. And then also from that, none of this would have happened without the organization of Pitch Wars because she wouldn't have mentored me without it. So essentially Helen and Pitch Wars as an organization, as you know, I've come back to Pitch Wars as a mentor because I seriously, I love it. So much. So yeah, Pitch Wars is like the most amazing organization. Yeah, Rosie, Dannon, and Meryl Wilsner. I try not to get emotional actually talking about them. I put them in my acknowledgement for hot copy because I love them with my entire heart and I know that both of them love me with their entire hearts. And what we have um as a re- in a relationship goes like beyond writing if none of us wrote another word tomorrow, we would still be friends. But at the same time, they bolster me professionally by, you know, as I mentioned before, being the people who have went through experiences before I did so that I could learn from them, being critique partners, both of them read my work before it gets published always, being honest with their feedback and with their expectations, 
but then just also like providing the emotional support. They are angels. They're angels to me. Awesome. Ruby, before you go, can you tell us about your upcoming book? Sure. The Romance SP is a classic romance between a baby bisexual chef. She's just sort of fully realized her sexuality. Her restaurant owner, who is a lesbian named Amy Chambers, and this book is in the same universe as Hot Copy. Essentially, the two of them are working together to save the restaurant because it is not doing great. And they decide to enter a reality TV show that, you know, it's not quite like a master chef, but it's more like featuring different restaurants in the Boston area. They are also navigating their feelings for each other while trying to save the restaurant. It comes out June 28th. All right. So check that out in June. And Ruby, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with everyone. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Ruby's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, I'd appreciate if you'd help me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.